Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression, and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, we are your host. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. Uh, I'm here with my BFF and co-host, Sadie Carpenter. Sadie, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty okay. We just learned about half an hour ago that Josh Duggar has been sentenced to 151 months. That's 12 years, 7 months in federal prison. Yes. And so he won't be getting out of prison until what, the year 2030? 34 or 2035 mm, hang on let me let me see so the the seven months will be negated by the months that he has spent in county jail waiting for trial so it's 2022 now he'll get out in um 2034 if he serves his complete sentence so it's more likely that he will see the light of day again sometime maybe in 2032 Okay, well, and how do you feel about that? Because I know you were very pessimistic about this. You were feeling like he was going to get the minimum possible sentence. You'd just been feeling really, really down in the dumps about this. I thought it was going to be closer to 15. I wasn't uh, I wasn't down in the dumps about this. I was just protecting my mental health. 
Oh, yeah. Setting expectations low. Yeah. I, I knew that I would not cope well if I went in hoping and hoping and hoping for 15 and he got 10. And I know that nothing is ever really going to feel completely just considering what he did. So I set my expectation on purpose, convinced myself that it was going to be five years and knowing that it was super unlikely that he would get the minimum. Yeah, you set your expectations low and you never get disappointed. That's kind of so. And I just just know like where my mental health is right now. I would I wouldn't have coped with that. Well, so I set my expectation at five and I am I'm pleasantly surprised. I am moderately happy with 12 and a half years. Uh, I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of mixed feelings, including myself. This is a this is a time for celebration. And it is okay to feel like he didn't get enough. It is okay to be disappointed in the length of this sentence. But we can celebrate that. I mean, for one, he actually faced trial for the crimes that he committed, which a lot of men in power in fundamentalist circles don't. And number two, that he he received a sentence that is, in the eyes of the law, fair. Yeah, you know, so if you follow us on social media, if you follow us on Instagram, you'll know Sadie and I had a little bit of a bet going. And what what was, we had an under or over on how long the sentence was going to mm-hmm. be. Um, Sadie, and the under over was 12. I got the over, Sadie got the under. But I feel like basically 12 years and no time served. So that's basically right down the middle. So I feel like neither of us wins that. Um, no, see, I think we both buy each other alcohol. See, I, okay, that's what, because even if I won, I was still going to buy you a bottle of gin because like you're stressed out and you need it. <laughs> yeah, I, I say we, we both go ahead and buy each other alcohol for the coverage of this trial. It was a long four hours, almost five hours this morning. And I know if you're listening to this now, you are probably sitting there refreshing and refreshing and refreshing and refreshing and refreshing and refreshing your page just like we were. So we hope that uh, you guys didn't give yourselves carpal tunnel syndrome doing that, just mashing that keyboard button or or on your phone or whatever. Um, What's the other thing that we plan to do? We plan to give... Uh, $5 per year of sentence to what the Children's Safety Center in Arkansas, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it, it's a it's a nonprofit in the Duggars local area that helps provides material help and counseling to children who are victims of any type of abuse or violence. So let's see, let's you want to call it at 12.5 years. Well, we could. I was just going to say, because the maximum that we were going to donate was 100 anyway, I'd just say that why don't we just make it that? Yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> I feel like if he's not giving him the full sentence and us giving them less money because they're not giving him the full, that's a little bit like adding insult to injury. So I, you know. Yeah, we're not going to do like, that. Yeah. No, no. So we'll just give the full amount. Yeah, totally fine with me. Um, We will get that donation done Um. That's the next thing on our priorities after this episode is released. We'll post that on our Instagram and we'll have a link to that charity as well. Yeah. If anybody who's listening wants to donate, I'm just imagining if like he got five years and we're just like, hey, he's getting out. He got the minimum. (laughs) Buy a pizza, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Like that would be uh, very wrong. We're going to get into the meat of this uh, episode, everything that happened, basically a a small recap, and then we're going to talk about everything that's happened since the trial, and then we're going to talk about the details of what happened today. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. 
the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults, including um, IBLP, ATI, Quiverful, things like that. And we talk about cult ideologies and the real and present threat that they pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there's a couple of things that you can do. You can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where we have extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, where right now we We've got a mega thread over the whole Josh Duggar sentencing ordeal. You can go in there and contribute to that. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Sadie, am I forgetting anything? Uh, no, I think that's it. We're going to thank our Faith Promise Missions patrons at the end of this episode instead of right up front because we want to get straight into this. So just one more thing before we get going with this. Um, if you are listening to this episode right now, there is a pretty decent chance that you hate pedophiles. And so next Monday, we have a podcast episode coming out where we review a terrible and batshit insane mental health self-help book written by now convicted pedophile pastor jack scop who was actually just released from prison almost a year early despite being completely unrepentant we are joined by an actual mental health professional dr shoshana fagan who has some fascinating insights into this disturbing book so make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you can stay up to date with all of our content and episodes going forward uh, we have excellent stuff coming for pride month we have a bunch of lgbtq affirming content we've got some interviews that we're really excited for but i think that's that let's get into the show all right so as always when talking about josh duggar this episode deals with a conviction for possession of child sexual assault images and materials the entire episode carries a trigger warning for discussion of such. Uh, the legal term for what he was convicted of and has now been sentenced for is uh, receipt and possession of child pornography. We don't use that term. We use child sexual abuse materials because it is more um, accurate, but that is the legal term. As always, we will not be reporting on any of the details of what was depicted in these images and videos. We will try to convey to you the seriousness and the absolute depravity of the violence that was contained in them while withholding as much detail as we possibly can. We want to try to avoid re-victimizing the real human beings that were depicted in these materials. The details are available online. I honestly don't recommend that you go looking and trust us when we say that it's awful, but we will also be mentioning uh, prior instances of sexual violence that he has committed also with the bare minimum of details. We want to thank one more time CC McCandless and Anna Darling of KNWA, who are local reporters who have been covering this story with incredible professionalism. We want to thank the moderators of the Duggars Snark community and the community itself. The moderators over at Duggars Snark have really informed how we think about our coverage as content creators. They've informed our ethics when we talk about this case, and we really do appreciate that. If you want to read and talk about this case with hundreds of thousands of other people, uh, while avoiding the graphic details as much as possible, the Duggar Snark mods have worked really hard to keep their sub a safe place for that. Um, so let's get into it. I guess I'm going to overview of Josh's... Yeah. Do you want to like breeze through how we got here? 
Yeah. I, okay. okay. So Josh Duggar uh, was the eldest son of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar, or he is the eldest son of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar, who are famous for their television program, uh, 19 Kids and Counting. It was previously 16, 17, 15, whatever Kids and Counting, however many. When Josh Duggar was a teenager in, I think, what, 2005, 2004? Early 2000s. Yeah. yeah, early 2000s, he molested some of his sisters as well as a babysitter. This came out as a big scandal in 2015, and there is significant evidence that his parents and the people around him covered this whole thing up from when it happened um, in order to uh, preserve their image. Later, Josh Duggar uh, went to work for conservative political causes in Washington. He was caught having multiple online dating profiles. Danica Dillon, who is a sex worker, uh, pornography performer, he was accused by her of sexual assault and she sued him. This suit was settled out of court, but there is significant reason to believe that Josh Duggar in the past had engaged in sexual violence against people. Yes. So overview of this case, um, in 2019, a Department of Homeland Security seized the computers that were used by Josh Duggar at the car dealership that he managed in Arkansas. Federal charges were brought against him for possession of child sexual assault materials and receiving child sexual assault materials. There was a trial that took place in the fall of 2021. The state had evidence of child sexual assault materials on his computer. They were able to pinpoint his location to the crime scene at the time that the crime was committed. They had witnesses who testified that he knew how to set up a Linux partition and use Tor, aka the dark web. And he was using this to circumvent the anti-pornography software that was put on the computer to alert his wife if he was ever viewing pornography. Uh, Josh Duggar's defense case was based on some very scant technical evidence of the router not being examined. They called one witness who was a computer expert. However, the defense computer expert had not examined the physical evidence. Pieces of her testimony didn't line up particularly well. And in my personal opinion, she came off as a bit of a hired gun. Defense counsel kind of put up what I saw as a meager defense. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal expert, but it was pretty meager. I, I think that's just because there was, they had nothing because the, the prosecution had him dead to rights. Uh, the defense did try to pin this on a hacker who had supposedly hacked into Josh's devices remotely through Linux and downloaded these materials and that Josh Duggar never knew they were there. They tried to pin it on Caleb Williams, who we've talked about before. We are going to talk about him again right at the end of this episode. We have thoughts. But when Caleb had an alibi, uh, they tried to pin it on some unknown person. This was not successful. Yeah. Josh Duggar was found guilty of both counts. And um, also, weird side note here, Jim Bob ran for state senate in Arkansas just a couple of weeks after this verdict was handed down, and he spent, I believe, more than $80 per vote that he ended up getting. $80 per vote to tell people that he, the father of a convicted pedophile, is the best candidate to support family values, which was a 
very odd and strange decision. I don't understand it, but okay. Um, anyway, sentencing was supposed to be a couple months ago, I believe. Uh, it, was it March? It was supposed to be a couple months ago, but then they pushed it back a few months. And so the sentencing was today. So what's happened since then? So we're going to talk about the things that have come out between the verdict and the sentencing in the context of what happened today on May 25th at the sentencing hearing. Okay. So uh, we get to once again do a Duggar roll call. Oh, man. So Anna, Josh's wife, and Jim Bob, his father, were, of course, present. Uh, They were sitting together with Anna's brother, David Keller, and new sister-in-law, Hannah, formerly Hannah Reber. That's the daughter of the people who were Josh's court-appointed babysitters while he was out on probation, for those keeping track. Uh, According to the son, Josh appeared in court with a beard and having lost some hair. According to several sources, and this is this is gross. According to several sources, Hannah made the the ILY I love you hand sign when Josh came into the room, which mm, makes me feel ill. Yeah. Not a fan of that. Michelle Duggar once again did not appear in court. She has not showed up for anything related to this case. I would like to know where the hell she is for all the supportive letter writing, which we are going to discuss. You would think she would want to see her son's face for the last time in who knows how long, but apparently not. Mm. Joanna Duggar Forsyth was also there. Austin did not attend. Uh, Joanna came with two of her unmarried brothers, Jason and James. Interestingly, the three of them sat in the back on the prosecution side. I didn't read too much into which side they sat on. It appears that Joanna may have just wanted to be close to an exit. So I don't read a whole lot into them sitting on the prosecution side. Joanna did later step out when the court discussed details of her childhood abuse. So I think the more likely answer is that they didn't care what side they were on. They just wanted to be close to the door. Yeah, I wouldn't blame them at all for that. No. So um, before this hearing, the prosecution and defense both submitted their sentencing memorandums. Predictably, the prosecution asked for the maximum sentence of 20 years. The defense also predictably asked for the minimum sentence of five years and still asserted Josh's innocence. So this crime carries a five-year minimum recommended sentence and a 20-year maximum recommended sentence. And then there is a list of things called enhancements that add or take away months or years from the recommendation. So one example is if the defendant, or in this case the convicted felon, expresses regret for his actions, the judge is allowed to consider giving him less prison time. If the images he downloaded are considered sadistic, the judge is allowed to consider are giving him more time and it's all within that boundary of five to 20 years so these images are absolutely considered sadistic we're gonna get to that that came up in court today so the prosecution sentencing memorandum it goes through these enhancements and explains why they think that the enha- the enhancement should be applied to give him the maximum amount of time and then the defense sentencing memo goes through the enhancements and explains well this is why we think the enhance enhancements don't apply and he should get less time. So the prosecution is trying to pull him up towards that 20-year end of the scale and the defense is trying to pull him down toward that five-year end of the scale. The defense sentencing memorandum is just gross. Like, it's not um, super graphic or violent or anything like that. It's just, it's just icky and gross. 
the gist of the defense sentencing memorandum was basically, it was really, really hard growing up on TV. And Josh is a good person who didn't download child sexual abuse materials. But if he did, it's not his fault because it was hard growing up on TV. Like, that's pretty much the, the whole thing. Most of the defense memo is, well, this is the enhancement that the prosecution recommends. And this is why it doesn't apply. Or this is why we don't think it applies. So it's it's a lot of legalese and citing other cases, but I've pulled out a couple quotes for you that I think are relevant to our interest in this case. Okay, go for it. So this is a quote from Section 4A, the history and characteristics of the defendant. Quote, even into early adulthood, living under the microscope and being judged and criticized by the media took its toll on Duggar and certainly complicated aspects of everyday life for him and his family. Okay, fair, but also that doesn't have anything to do with committing him downloading this horrible material. Yeah, that's not an excuse for committing a crime. Yeah. And a horrible crime at that. So earlier in the document, the defense also used the phrase, quote, the visual depictions at issue in this case were possessed for a particularly short period of time and were deleted shortly after allegedly being downloaded. Mm. So basically, they're saying this is in reference to a distribution enhancement to the sentence, but they're saying even if he did download this material, which he didn't, he only had it for a short time, as if that makes it any better. Yeah, You only need it for a short amount. It's like he downloaded it and then did whatever it is that he was going to do with it. And then he deleted it because he knew this stuff was radioactive and it's illegal to possess. And he didn't want anybody to find out that he had it. Or That's he like, downloaded it and stashed it on a flash drive somewhere that just never got found. We don't know. Yikes. Oh, God, I hate it so much. Okay, let's get into the court proceedings. Yeah, we're going to come back to that distribution enhancement in a second. Yeah. So today, May 25th, at the sentencing hearing, the judge had to go through the defense's objections to the prosecution's memo. So they had the defense had to object to everything. They objected to everything. I think 22 objections was the total, but giving all these reasons why they think the enhancement shouldn't apply. I'm not going to go through each one of them because that would take forever. I've just kind of pulled out what I think are the key points. And I'm paraphrasing this directly from Anna Darling's Twitter feed. Uh, I think I retweeted her thread on this earlier uh, if you want more detailed information. Yeah, you can go and follow uh, Leaving Eden pod on twitter at leaving eden pod uh so uh according to anna darling the defense tried to argue that the children depicted in the child sexual abuse materials are victims but are not directly victims of josh duggar because he is innocent Uh and the judge overruled this because he does not enjoy the presumption of innocence anymore. He has been found guilty. The defense objected to a level two enhancement that Josh Duggar knowingly engaged in distribution of these materials. This is to do with him being on file sharing programs and using a Tor browser. And and the way that he got these materials to begin with can imply distribution because it's a file sharing network. And we don't know if somebody else got parts of that file or the recipe for that file or however you want to analogize it from his computer. 
Right, because he was downloading it on BitTorrent, and you're if you're downloading the torrent, you're also seeding the torrent to other people. Okay, right, that makes sense. So yeah, could be seen to imply distribution, and that's where that comment about he only had it allegedly for a few, uh, for a short amount of time um, from the from the defense. The defense cited a previous case where it was found that simply using a file sharing program does not qualify for distribution because there's not necessarily intent to distribute. So the judge sustained this objection from the defense. And I'm pointing that out because I think we all want to, we all know that Josh's defense team has said that they are still going to keep appealing this. They, I mean, they asked for a new trial the day before the sentencing, and that got shot down immediately. That got shot down. But the, the defense team is, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at the defense team as they're scumbags defending a scumbag. But you can also look at it as if he can claim that he had incompetent defense, that gives him grounds for an appeal. And the way to prevent that is for him, for the defense lawyers to do everything they possibly can. Yeah, but also, I mean, I think... I mean, he is a scumbag and we know he's a scumbag, but also he is entitled to a legal defense. Right. And we just we don't know if his lawyers are the kind of people who are, well, you know, the legal system does what it's supposed to do and everybody deserves the best defense, even if they're guilty of sin. We don't know if that's who his lawyers are or if they are scumbags defending scumbags. Yeah. And I mean, they're just throwing Hail Marys at this point. They've been throwing Hail Marys since halfway through the trial. And I don't like to read what they have to say, but I don't feel I'm it is above my pay grade to try to determine the motivation of his individual lawyers. The other thing is the judge did sustain several objections from the defense. This was one of them. The judge is likely trying to do this by the book as much as possible to prevent future avenues for appeal. The defense also objected to an enhancement for a pattern of activity of sexual abuse of minors, which the judge overruled after the prosecution cited several prior cases where the the enhancement was found to apply after a similar amount of time. What that means is the judge was ultimately able to consider Josh's crimes against his sisters and another unnamed victim as prior bad acts that do have bearing on his sentence, which is good. That might be the only justice that those particular victims of his ever get. So um, I wish they got more, but to get that, I think, is is a small comfort to them, I would hope. The defense, the last objection I have for you, the defense objected to a level five enhancement for the number of images found on Josh's computer. If a person possesses 600 images, that's a level five enhancement. The defense objected, saying that there were only 127 images. What the defense conveniently forgot to mention is that each video counts for 75 images, and there were seven videos downloaded. So that brings us up to just under 600 images. Since there wasn't hard evidence of the full 600, this got downgraded to a level four enhancement instead of a level five. But the enhancement still stood, so that's ultimately an okay outcome, I think. And then after, after all of that... The hearing went to lunch because it was going so long. When they returned, what they had to hash out was some details of uh, where he will be sent to prison, what his situation will be when he's released, what the rules will be that he has to follow after release, that sort of thing. So as I understand it, uh, several people within his life have written letters to the judge asking what? Asking for leniency? Yes. So... 
his his family members, his mother, his wife. Mm-hmm. Are we going to talk about that? Yeah. So that's another thing that was discussed at the sentencing today. So I think this would be a good place to talk about those letters. There were letters from both Michelle Duggar and Anna Duggar. Notably, none of his adult siblings wrote a letter on his behalf, really? which I think is very telling. Mm. Very interesting. The people that we would be familiar with that did write letters are Michelle Anna David Waller, which is Anna's brother-in-law, married to her sister Priscilla, Anna's father, Michael Keller, and LeCount Reber, who was Josh's court-appointed babysitter leading up to and during the trial. There were also there were some other family and friends that wrote letters as well. And this felt really familiar to me because I remember in the Jack Scott case, people were asked to write similar character letters. I think for Jack Scott, over a hundred people wrote letters. Yikes. Ew. Oh, yeah. Mm. Sadie, do you want to read any uh, parts of these letters or any of these letters? Um, Yeah, there's there's plenty of interesting stuff in here. I was going to see, would you like to read Michelle's letter? And then I'm going to and then I'll read at least part of Anna's letter. Okay, yeah, I can. I'll read Michelle's letter because I don't think you could get through it without gagging. (laughs) I can't get through it without doing her voice, and I don't want to further traumatize our listeners. Yeah, okay. Well, (laughs) I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. This isn't funny at all. Um, So this is is, uh, Michelle's letter, and it says, Your Honor, hello, I am writing this letter in regards to the sentencing of my son, Joshua Duggar. My heart is to share some things about Joshua's character that may not be fully known to the court. It is my sincere hope that these things are taken into consideration as a fair and just sentence is determined. Leading up to this sentencing day, I want to make clear that Joshua has friends and family who will love and support him in his abilities to succeed as a husband, father, business owner, and man both now and in the future. Joshua has a tender heart and he is compassionate towards others. If someone is having a difficult time, he is the first to encourage or try to help them in a tangible way. He and his wife and children have helped many others by doing cleaning and repair projects and lending a helping hand. Joshua has always been a positive and upbeat person. He is wise financially, saving money for the future, and purposing not to go into debt. He is a good provider for his family, working diligently and thinking of creative ways to support and take care of his wife and children. He is also generous and shares his resources with others in need. One example of his heart to help others is that Joshua has been giving financial assistance to a widow friend of ours for several years. On a personal level, Joshua is an organized and diligent individual. He has set a good example of applying himself eagerly to his work and in the many other responsibilities that he carries as a husband and father. Joshua is a loving and patient man striving to be a blessing and provide for his family. He has also spent quality time with his wife and children, learning life skills together and going on family outings. Side by side, Joshua and his family have built forts, learned how to work on bicycles and other vehicles, gone camping, hiked, fished, and played countless games and sports together. As I look 
to his return. I stand ready to offer my continued love and encouragement to Joshua and his family and for their success in the future together. We ask that he would be reunited with his wife and family in a timely manner. Thank you, Your Honor, for taking these thoughts into consideration. We implore your wisdom for just a decision in this matter. Thank you for your time. Respectfully, Michelle Duggar and the I and Michelle has a heart over it. Mm, the I and Michelle is- does indeed have a heart over it. Yes, I, I could not make this up. So this this letter is, to me, a bit of a head-scratcher. A of all, there's no mention of the crimes that he was convicted of. It's just like Josh is really nice. Like Michelle has no idea what even is going on. Here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like she has no idea, like the the scope of his wrongdoing. Yeah, you'll notice a pattern of that among the letters in general. There were 12 total, I believe. And I can link in an archive of all 12 of them for our listeners if they want to go through and read. There was very little mention of his crimes. I think two of the letters did vaguely mention a crime. Michelle gives the impression that she doesn't know what he did. Yeah. Which, I mean, as I was saying, she has not attended a a single court date in all of this. So what do you think people are are keeping the information from her? Or could this is purely. So I have to say at at the top, this is pure speculation. I have no idea. This is not reporting. This is my thoughts. I wonder if Jim Bob has decided or Michelle has decided or the two of them have decided together that this material, the knowledge of his crimes, like what he actually did in plain language, is not appropriate for her. Like, I mean, the, it's not appropriate for anybody. That's true. But I, I wonder if... Some combination of Jim, Bob, and Michelle have decided that she does not want to know or that it is better for her not to know for some reason, and that Jim, Bob returned home after court in December and told her what he wanted her to know about this case. I can see it being a possibility that she does not discuss it in detail with her children, including the children who were present in court, some or all of the trial. Especially because in Fundy world, sex crimes of any kind are not to be spoken about. It's not something that you would speak about with your mother or with any uh, older lady in the church. So it's just the kind of thing. What would you say is that you have you have stumbled or there, you have yeah, fallen? There are all the, these yeah. there are all these euphemisms, and I'm sure I, I would be surprised to find out that Michelle was unaware that he downloaded images that feature the sexual exploitation of children. I don't think that could be kept from her. I mean, she's been in an airport that since then she could have just seen a magazine or a newspaper. But I I wonder if perhaps she does not know the full details of how violent this material was, uh, that the focus is, is actually primarily on uh, sexual torture, not sexual interaction, uh, I wonder, I, I would not be surprised to learn that she does not know the ages of the people depicted in these images. That that I, I wouldn't be surprised. So this is like the type of letter that I would expect for somebody to send to a judge on behalf of like, say somebody, you know, got convicted of a low level like financial crime, you know, like defrauding mm-hmm. a bank. 
like tax evasion or something like you could say yeah he did but like he he dodged his taxes a little bit but it was to you know to feed his family and he helped this widow out you know like it, who cares if he if he dodged a little bit of t- like that's that's no big yeah, deal like, like he's an asset to the community and putting him away for tax crimes is is not serving any higher purpose yeah that's that's why like that's the the, the situation in which i feel like this letter would be kind of appropriate you know yeah, and it's like i, I just and that's why i wonder how much she really does know because michelle like i don't f-ing care that he saves money or lives debt free or is good at organization i do not care that he enjoys family activities because when he is not doing family activities he also enjoys watching the absolute worst thing you can possibly imagine for fun and self-gratification nothing else he does matters <laughs> I think that there's something to this theory that Michelle doesn't know because her going in a letter and saying he's a great and involved father and he spends a lot of time with his kids when the guy's been convicted of child sexual assault material possession is, I mean, that's likely to have the opposite effect. Like this guy molested his own sisters. If I were the judge and Michelle sent this letter to me, I'd be like, she makes a good point. I better send him to jail for longer to keep him away from those kids. Yeah. Like, uh, and also yeah. like the the informality of number one, she started the letter with your honor, comma, new paragraph, hello, period. And like, that hello, has... my name is Kent Hovind. Exactly. <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, it's because she read Kent Hovind's doctoral dissertation. Doctorbal. Doctorbal Doct- with a B. Doctorbal. But yeah. can you imagine, like, for a minute, being one of the Duggar daughters who is molested by Josh and your own mother writes this letter for your brother who did that? Oh, it's got to be infuriating. After something like that, like, it should be a wake-up call, right? That this guy is bad. He's always been bad. And your focus should be on repairing the damaged relationship with your child who was abused rather than, like, just doubling down in support of the abuser. This is hideous. This is really hideous. It, it really is. And as far as wake-up calls, you know, they had a wake-up call in the early 2000s when he committed a crime for the first time that we know of. They had another opportunity for a wake-up call in 2015. Two of them, actually. They had another opportunity for a wake-up call when he was arrested or when he went on trial. And none of the all of these wake-up calls are getting the snooze button pushed on them. I feel for Michelle. I feel for uh, especially female members of the Duggar family. And I understand why a person might ignore one of those wake-up calls or several of those wake-up calls. But I think we have to get to a point where we say enough is enough. You should have known better. And it is not it is no longer excusable for you to be making saying a single word in defense of this man. Yeah. Of course, the the, the snarky cherry on top of this entire Sunday is her signing her name with a heart in the eye. Like, I think that shaming people for writing in a juvenile handwriting style is a bit classist. But. In this case, this is a letter to a federal judge about your son who has just been convicted of a horrible crime. This is not the time. I just think I think it's yeah. disrespectful, honestly. I think it is a sign that Michelle has no idea what is going on. That just like she she is so out of her depth here that she, like she just has no fucking clue that this is not appropriate. She like Well, speaking of people who act like they have no idea what's going on, even though they definitely know. Uh, We can talk about Anna's letter. 
because it, it, it's very similar other <sighs> than starting with hello my name is kent Hor- kent hoven <laughs> okay well why don't you why don't you read that okay i might skim <sighs> through some parts of this it's a little bit longer i'll see what i can do yeah your honor i am writing regarding my husband joshua duggar who will come before you for sentencing as his spouse of more than 13 years thank you for taking the time to allow me to share about the man i know and love uh, she talks a little bit about their their love story and how they worked at a car lot together for the first few years of their marriage. Back to quoting here. There, I admired my husband's diligence in his work and also his perspective that people are more important than a quick sale. Joshua would spend would often spend hours out of his day chatting with and listening to various homeless people who would pass by on the sidewalk. And many of our customers also became our friends. It didn't matter who you were or where you came from. Joshua cared for each person because they are created in the image of God. And that is what determines their value, not social status. Joshua has worked hard to provide for me and our now seven children, but the happiest part of the day by far is when Daddy comes home from work and his cheerful voice fills the house. Hey guys, how's it, go- how's it going? What did you learn about in school today? Are usually the conversation starters in between greeting each of our children. Joshua is an engaged dad who gladly throws a football with his sons, listens to our daughters play a new song they've learned on the piano, helps answer homework questions, or lends a hand sweeping up spilled crackers. He is a kind, loving, supportive, and caring father and husband, his primary focus in life. My children and I rely on Joshua for financial, emotional, and physical support. Many others depend on Joshua, too. Joshua is a man who frequently volunteers his time, services, and resources, striving to contribute to our community and people in need. Four years ago, one of our good friends, Clark Wilson, passed away from cancer at the age of 57. Joshua took it upon himself to financially support his widow, Denise, and the children they still have living at home. For the past four years, Joshua has quietly and faithfully made significant financial contributions to meet their needs. This was not because we have excess income, but because Joshua has a compassionate heart and he is willing to make personal sacrifices for the benefit of others. Joshua embodies the quote from Ronald Reagan, There is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. Joshua is quick to step in and do whatever he can to be a team builder and help others accomplish their goals without ever needing to receive recognition or or praise. I'm going to skip through it. She, she tells a story about um, a man that Josh Duggar gave a job to. Thank you, Your Honor, for taking these thoughts into consideration. Joshua is surrounded by people who will encourage him to continue to become the best man, father, and employer he can be. I ask that you consider reuniting us as a family again soon. I understand the seriousness of this matter. However, I respectfully ask that you take this letter into consideration when determining a fair sentence. Thank you, Anna Duggar. No, thank you, Anna Duggar, for providing us with the, the Ronald Reagan quote. That was definitely the all of, something that all of us were just dying to hear today. I mean, in her defense, it's better than the Ronald Reagan quote where he says that African people are monkeys who are uncomfortable wearing shoes. Ooh. You know Ouch. that one? No, I had not Google heard it. that one. That sucks, though. There's a like, there's an audio recording of Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon hanging out together, and they, it's oh, it's no. up. Google, yeah, Google it. It's real. If if you, yeah. Anyway, I mean, the the tone of Anna's letter is better than Michelle's. I definitely think. I think Anna just couldn't get away with not acknowledging the seriousness of the situation since she was at the trial and we all know and the judge knows that she saw the evidence at the trial yeah mm, just uh, god i was i was reading through this and that line about everyone being made in the image of god just made me so mad why were the children that 
Were the children whose images he viewed not made in the image of God? What is possibly defines being made in the image of God more than a tiny, innocent child? And it's exactly what all of the pro-life people, anti-abortion people go around saying, right? Like that the, the, the fetuses are made in the image of God. It, it, he can see the image of God in homeless people that he talks to or customers at his car lot, but he can't see that in innocent children. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's an extremely salient point. I don't know. Maybe Anna just didn't consider that. Or maybe she just, I mean, they're still maintaining that he didn't do it. They're they're saying that he didn't do it. And that's how she gets away with putting that, putting this in this letter. Yeah. But as a parent that just, I didn't, I didn't, um, it didn't hit me until I read it out loud. But mo- so most of the letters, I wanted to read you Anna's and Michelle's for a couple different reasons, but most of the letters are very much along these same lines. You know, he's a hard worker. He's a good dad. He gives money to people. One writer claims that she was present at Anna's house when Josh called her from, from jail. The, and that uh, writer says that Josh said that there was a fellow inmate who was being, quote, verbally abusive when they crossed paths in solitary confinement. But after some time, that inmate approached Josh to say that he and the other inmates had decided that Josh was innocent and that Mm. they would no longer be verbally abusive to him. Yeah, I believe that Josh said this to Anna. I don't believe it happened. I don't think that some guy walked up to him and said, you know what, we've decided that you're innocent. I don't know, unless they wanted him to join like the Aryan gang or something. I I don't know Um, i've heard even the nazis don't want people like him really huh well i wouldn't know um i don't really hang out with nazis (laughs) oh that's that's weird i thought that was like all your best friends yeah anyway like i mean also he lies to his wife all the time do you remember when he actually evidence from this case he told her in a text message that he was that he had to work late at the car dealership and finish up with a customer when actually he was downloading child sex abuse material exactly do you remember that yeah yeah i mean he He has a proven track record of not only cheating to his wife but also lying to her face Mm. um so yeah i i believe that he told her this story but i think the odds that it actually happened are zero. There was another letter that claimed that Josh is leading twice daily Bible studies and nightly prayer meeting for fellow inmates. So basically, he's just fully turning into Jack Scop. I mean, maybe that's what the Duggars are going for. I mean, Jack Scop got released early, even though he wrote uh, like absurd letters to the judge about how his crime wasn't that bad because the girl he abused had previously used drugs and or alcohol. That's true. Do you remember that? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So I did have a a word that we see pop up in these letters a lot is diligent. I had a lot of people ask me what diligent means in Fundy speak. So I want to explain that. Diligence is a huge Fundy buzzword. It's actually one of those character traits that ACE really focuses on. You remember how each pace of ACE has a Bible verse and it's correlated to a virtue trait that you're supposed to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Diligence is one of ACE's character traits, and it's in the IBLP quite a bit as well. The Webster's definition is steady, earnest, and energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work and application to accomplish an undertaking. That definition holds up really well, actually, in Fundy Speak. It does mean roughly the same thing as it does in the real world. Just the the value that's placed on it is higher in Fundy World. 
So it's it's a big deal. So if somebody sees you as diligent, what does that mean? It's a character trait that the fundies really prize. And if you think about the day in the life episodes that we just aired, well, you better be a hard worker if you're going to get through that day. So in fundies speak, it, it's pretty literal. It just means like you work hard at the jobs that you're given. You finish the job and you come back like, may I have some more menial labor, please, sir? And you don't complain. But the the use of the word diligent, though, it just makes me realize once again how little deep interaction that fundies are able to have with each other. I felt like I hardly knew who anyone was when I was in the fundy world. I, these, these two women can't describe their own son or their own husband in any words other than diligent, which is this character trait that everyone is supposed to cultivate. I think it just shows how much the IBLP seeks to eradicate any actual personality from people. Also, I think maybe being IBLP just makes you forget that your values aren't universal. Like somehow saying my son is diligent and has good values just negates any bad things that he's done. That That's true. Like, oh, well, he lives up to our list of character traits, though. Yeah. yeah. So, so he can have he done that. Like, clearly, yeah. I think the point of this is somehow to try to convince the judge that if he gets out soon, he will just not reoffend. There was a lot of mention, like we read in Michelle's letter, Joshua has friends and family who will love and support him in his abilities to succeed as a husband, father, business owner, and man, both now and in the future, exclamation point. So she's talking about his character, his support system, and it seems like she's trying to say that he will be an asset to society outside of prison and he won't do any new crimes. Which just seems so head in the sand to me because this guy has a literal 20-year history of doing crimes. Like, over and over, over again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, these, aren't the, these are all the same things that they've said about Josh year after year after year after year. Like, he molested his sisters. He got caught. Um, and they're like, oh, Jesus fixed him. And then he got caught trying to cheat on his wife. They're like, oh, Jesus fixed him. And then he abused a sex worker. And that one they said that he didn't do, at least, I guess. I don't know. But the, the whole thing was, oh, Jesus fixed him. Jesus fixed him. Jesus fixed him. And I tried. Yeah, yeah. I tried to look up uh, the Duggar family statements on some of those earlier scandals. Uh, it turns out that a lot of them have been scrubbed from the Duggar blog, so I wasn't able to get it quickly enough for this to go to press. But I would really bet that the wording is almost the same every time. So at the sentencing, um, other than these letters of support being read and discussed, there was also a victim impact statement read that was written by the parent of one of the children that was exploited to make the materials that Josh Duggar downloaded. Yeah, I saw that. That was very difficult to read. I have not read the whole thing yet. I have read quotes from it. And basically, this parent is expressing that their child is a real person and a real victim and how their child is re-victimized every time somebody downloads that content. Yeah, and which is absolutely right. Yes. And yeah. I wanted to make sure we mentioned that because that's a, a very good point. Yeah. the I mean, the point that the defense is trying to make is, well, these children were victimized, but they weren't victimized by Josh Duggar. And like, this is kind of a, no, this isn't a victimless crime. No. Yeah. This is, this is a real person in these mm -hmm. images. Um, it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, acting as if it is a victimless crime is deeply disrespectful. And it just shows how, 
I mean, disconnected from reality and how not interested in any real justice that they are. So I think the I think this would be a good time to go take up the offering. And when we come back, we can talk about some of what has been popping off on the social media during all of this going down. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about Cousin Amy. We're going to talk about Caleb Williams. So stay tuned for that. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back from our break. So in the first half of our episode, we covered what happened in the case with regards to Josh Duggar's trial and his conviction and his sentencing. Um, we covered letters written to the judge from Josh's family members, namely his mother and his wife. But now what I want to get into is that there are a few people who know the Duggars, either like their extended family or they're like Duggar affiliates. And yeah, I like, I don't know what else to call it. Like hangers, hangers on. on. Yeah. Like they, they've been saying things about this case um, on social media and stuff in the past few weeks. This has been generating uh, like a lot of buzz on the internet. People have had a lot to say about this. I mean, we're, we're mainly talking about two people here, right? Yeah. And it, it's not that those have been the only two people making waves, um, there have been some interesting Twitter likes from Derek Dillard. Uh, but what I what I want to get into specifically on this episode is Cousin Amy's comments and Caleb Williams' Twitter comments. Yeah, I mean, Derek Dillard's going to like some stuff because he's he kind of likes That's what he does. That's what he does. He figured out that his likes on Twitter are public and he will like things that he wouldn't say himself, but he does think those things. Yeah, he, he he's just stirring up shit. So, I mean, that's just kind of... And I'm, I'm aware yeah. that Jill Dillard said some spicy stuff in a court filing for her lawsuit against the police department that released the original molestation scandal, the thing that happened 20 years ago and came to light in 2015. Wait, you mean how she said that Jim Bob lied about it and covered it up and that the police didn't properly do their jobs and dig in even when there was sufficient evidence? Yeah, there was more about her 
relationship with Jim Bob, but she apparently tried to have that removed from the court filing because she didn't actually want to say it publicly. So I'm not sure if I feel good about digging into it. It's also not super related to the sentencing. So if we decide that it is ethical to dig into, we'll do it at a later time. So uh, who are we talking? We're talking about Cousin Amy or Caleb Williams first. Let's do Cousin Amy first, because she has been pretty consistently going off on Twitter. Okay, yeah, what's she been saying? So she started small after the trial. Uh, She was being a little bit vague, uh, tweeting things, Instagram stories and tweets like, I hope every abuser comes to justice, that kind of thing. Oh, so she's just like subtweeting. Yeah. So that's like, I mean, that's an appropriate thing to do when your cousin goes to jail for being an pedophile. I guess. I I mean, I appreciate that she's taking a stand against him. So there was some more vague, but not that vague, tweeting about um, how she, whether or not she felt protected as a child and families who don't give each other all the information that they need to know, that kind of thing. But she got more and more bold and more and more specific. And then she finally tweeted, um, IBLP is an occult, which may or may not have been a typo because she immediately followed it with IBLP is also a cult. A cult as in O-C-C-U-L-T. Yes. Yeah. Different from the word C-U-L-T. Yeah. I don't know. Man, if I were involved in the occult, I would be deeply offended that somebody would compare me to the IBLP. That's just my take. I I wonder if John Todd would be (laughs) flattered or mad. God. Hard to know. I mean, he also had a thing for women who were under the age of consent. So that's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. Yikes. Amy has been getting more and more bold. I think about the only new information that she claims is that her she says her mother was not made aware uh, of the extent of Josh's original crimes and that he might not be a safe person for her to be around as a teenager. I would tend to believe this. She's been inconsistent with her story about whether they had no idea anything ever happened or whether they only got a very sanitized version of the events from Jim Bob, I do tend to believe that Jim Bob wasn't fully upfront with what had happened. That makes that tracks. Yeah, I, either that or for whatever reason, Amy hasn't been able or comfortable enough to say, like to share the full and real version of events. So like over time, the story changes based on what she is comfortable saying publicly, because that, that's a real thing that people will do. That, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, she didn't ask to be related to these extremely messy cult people, you know. That's also true. Yeah. The So the thing that Amy has posted that I actually find most worthy of discussion is her open letter to Anna that was posted on Instagram last week. And I think that's worth reading in full. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Okay. So her, uh, this is the full text of, of, yeah, Amy's open letter to Anna. Anna, I feel for you. No woman wants to be in your shoes. You're faced with an impossible decision and you're being surrounded by the wrong kind of support. You've been taught since you were a child that marriage is forever and you prayed for God to send you a partner. You've constructed a life and a family with him. You didn't choose any of this and your kids certainly didn't either. I'm not coming after you with some sort of tough love thing. This is what's simply on my heart, and I can't help but to express it. I cried as I read the letter your own father wrote in support of your husband this week. It's no wonder you're struggling to know what to do to protect your own kids. You've obviously never had an example there. 
That was awful, and I'm so sorry for that. But my mom was a fierce protector, and so am I. She showed me how to stand up and speak up. If no one else in your life is saying it, I need you to understand that there is no shame in divorcing Josh. Someday your kids will be old enough to understand what kind of guy their father really is. You can't protect them from the truth forever. I'm saying all this publicly so that, that, so that when they do grow up, they will also know that they had family members shouting from the rooftops that they were worth protecting all along. Your children look up to you so much. Please be the role model they need in their life. Dylan and I are more than willing to help you. Josh has chosen how history will remember him. By staying and supporting him, you're allowing him to choose that for you, too. And I know standing up to all of this seems impossible now, but as a mama, your instinct to protect your kids always has to be stronger than your fear. The only people you would upset by leaving are the ones willing to sacrifice you and your children's safety to protect Josh and his secrets. She tagged Anna's Instagram, which is ballsy, and signed the message from a mama who won't turn a blind eye. Wow. I mean, that's that's really everything. Is it like, I mean, like contrast that with the letter that Anna wrote to the judge, you know? Yeah, that's that is a big, a big stretch, big difference. Yeah. And I mean, like also, you know, obviously she's writing it not just for Anna. She's writing it for Anna's kids. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. mm. And I I do think that's mm. valuable for if any of the kids do want to get out eventually that they will know that cousin Amy is a safe place and a safe person to talk to. I mean, like if, if she's saying this in public, I can, I, I can't imagine what's being said in private. I don't know who she speaks to in private. Like, mm. I wouldn't, I, I don't know if she has a channel of communication with the younger unmarried Duggar children. And, and I don't know what the Duggars do as far as cell phones, but I know when I was a teenage fundy, it was very common for children not to have cell phones until they turned 18. So yeah, I don't know if those kids would have any way of contacting her if they wanted to. I'm sure that Amy is in contact with Jill, Ginger, possibly Jana, Jessa, and the older Duggar boys if they want to be in contact with her. But is it possible that Jim Bob would tell Jessa and Jana and the older married boys and their spouses not to speak to Amy? I mean, that's possible too. But also once they're married, they're no longer under Jim Bob's headship and they can kind of do it like as long as their husbands say it's like as long as they're if they're in the IBLP, as long as their husbands say it's cool. They can, yeah. yeah technically, mm. but it, it has been speculated that Jim Bob still has a lot of financial control, um, especially over Jessa and Ben. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do wonder who talks to Michelle and Anna, and also talks to Amy. Like you, you, I feel like you either pick a camp. Yeah, I, I think Ginger. Maybe mm. Ginger was the closest to Michelle out of all the daughters. I mean, like, what's Amy going to do? Is she is she going to say, hey, Ginger, will you tell your sister-in-law that she needs to leave her pedophile husband and that I'm here for her? I'd tell her myself, but I don't have her number and she won't respond to any of my DMs. Like, th- she's not going to do that. No. Right. Um, it is interesting mm. to think about what are the lines of communication between Amy and the Duggars. I do have to wonder why this was posted on the internet as an open letter. It makes sense that it's for the for Anna's children uh to see it in the future it all I do though I do wonder was Amy trying to get through to Anna and having her call screened or was she getting left unread Mm. Mm. or could Amy also be wanting to show support for other IBLP women who are stuck in bad situations 
And she wanted to make a public stance for all of those people, not just Anna. Yeah. And imagine being Anna and being in a suit, like in the situation that you're in, that she's in. And then you get a five paragraph email from cousin Amy, who you don't really talk to, but she's telling you about how you're in a cult and you need to like, that's just, that's not going to go over well. I mean, that's true. That's true. But somebody's got to tell Anna that she's in a cult and she needs to get out. And it it isn't going to be Jim Bob and Michelle. And it's not right to put the onus for that on the sisters who were actually Josh's first victims because they have enough trauma coming up right now to begin with. And at least one of them is pregnant. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm thinking back to the episode that we did about how to break your friends or family members out of a cult um, that we did uh, like back last year, last fall. Yep. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, that's, that's a lot of salient points just, but like just going up to somebody and saying, you're in a cult, you need to get it. Like, that's not going to work. I'm sure that anybody who's got her number, who isn't in Jim Bob's pocket is telling her that, but like, I'm sure that she's flooded with messages from people saying just that, but she's not she is on social media, but I don't think she's getting a lot of personal messages along these lines because who has Anna Duggar's cell phone number that isn't in Jim Bob's pocket? Yeah. Like her own dad wrote a letter defending Josh. So did her brother-in-law, who is married to her sister, who seems to be the closest to her of all her siblings. Um, all her friends and family Red created to be his helpmate, where it says, if your husband goes to jail for sex crimes, you stay with him, you take the kids to visit, and you pray that he gets out. He gets long enough of a sentence that your kids won't be minors when he gets out, and then you stay married when he's out of prison. Jesus. And all of her friends and family have read that and believe that. We t- Which episode did we talk? We talked about that in one of our episodes about bill gothard and the iblp yeah we need to do a deep dive into the pearls um that's that's gonna need to be done at some point but we've never we've never really seen anna having friends outside the iblp and really not many friends outside her family and extended family it's it's really just all that i know of is cousin amy and a couple of her siblings who have left the iblp One of her brothers posted something very similar to this when the 2015 scandals broke. Uh, He offered to get her out, like physically get her out of the situation. And she obviously didn't take take him up on that. So we don't know if Anna still has much of a relationship other than weddings and funerals with her siblings who have left the IBLP. Who was the, the one whose husband was super mad at the trial and wouldn't sit with everyone? Was that Austin? Yes, Austin Forsyth, Joanna's husband. I mean, maybe Joanna is telling her because I doubt I, I doubt she'd be saying, let me get out of the IBLP. But th- like, they're not f- obviously fond of Josh. So, yeah, but mm. Austin and Joanna. Yeah, they're still pretty, pretty fundamentalist. I don't think that they would be telling Anna you're in a cult. They're still a lot more fundy than, say, Jill and Derek. But I don't think Jill and Derek and Anna have much contact outside you know the courtroom and family christmas and unless i'm mistaken i don't think joanna and anna were ever particularly close friends they're almost 10 years apart in age i know like all of the, all of this like fundy stuff and like these these factionalized families that's all just so alien to me just be like yeah, my but personal when you're, like when yeah. okay anna's family has what nine children 
She's one of nine and married into one of 19. I, I don't know how you could not be factionalized with that many people. That many people don't tend to go the same direction very often. I mean, and they're all at the trial. Like it seemed like Joanne and Austin, though, they were at the trial. They, they seemed like they had some actual grasp of the severity of the material that Josh was perusing. Like, I mean, you know, you and I, we read the descriptions. I don't pers- like I don't know. And they, they and they described them to the courtroom. Yes. Right? And yes. And showed images to the jury. I physically to like the core of my being, I don't know how anybody could find gratification in viewing that sort of thing without being completely and totally condemnable. Like, like if, if when you hear that and when you understand that, like, you know, that this, that this, that there, like, there's something just to the core of this person that's wrong with them. Like, like, I don't know how you wouldn't say something if you saw somebody involved with somebody like that. And it was somebody that you were like, even if it was your own brother, oh, yeah. you would know. I, I think there are some fundy world things, like you said, that are going on that you don't notice because why would you? Um, but the reasons that I think Joanna wouldn't be tr- trying very hard to influence Anna to leave. Um, do you remember how we talked about Joanna bringing Anna a cup of coffee at the trial? Yeah. I, I like I remember you made a big deal out of it and I didn't I like I did not understand why it was a big deal but you and other people were like freaking out about this cup of coffee. Yeah, like pe- former fundies in the Facebook group were were agreeing with me on this. And I was telling you way back then that this can mean a lot of things in fundy subtext, but I saw it as Joanna saying I am doing an act of service for Anna, and she represents the person who hurt me the most. In Fundy world, that's a big deal. Like, that's something that Fundies feel obligated to do by their religion is to serve and love the people who hurt them the most. Wait, okay. I, I like, I know you've said this too. Like, so if somebody hurts you, you owe them, not the other way around. Yeah, that's Fundy world, and especially well, IBLP. Mm. So trigger warning for IBLP catchphrases and uh, horrible abuse apologetics. In the IBLP, your abusers made you, quote, mighty in spirit. So really, they did you a favor by abusing you because it made you a better person. What? That that can't be right. That, that makes no sense. Do you not what? remember the diagram of the what to do when a child is abused? The, there's a diagram that comes from the IBLP oh, about this. Oh, God, I do remember this diagram. Why yeah. is there a diagram of this? Like Because it's the IBLP, and they uh, have diagrams for everything, and small children get abused all the time. The, this diagram that we're talking about, it's how if you're what to do if a very young child is abused. And it says, one of the points is that they're supposed to be thankful because it will make them mighty in spirit. And that's one of the main points of the IBLP. Right. Oh yeah. Oh god. I feel like I blocked that out of my mind because it was so f-ing backwards and wrong. That, and- that's fair because it's terrible. But mm. I, I think, and this is another area where this is pure speculation, just based on my own fundy experience. But I think Joanna bringing Anna coffee at the trial was kind of a metaphor. I told you how fundy subtext is just off the rails, but I think when Joanna did that, she was saying without words, I did what I was supposed to do. I wash my hands of this. 
I fulfilled the obligation to serve those who abused me, or in this case, his wife. And now I'm done. Now I'm I'm closing the book on this matter because now I have done what I was supposed to do. So if Joyanna brings Anna a cup of coffee, does Anna understand the subtext of that gesture? Does she understand this person is doing something nice for me as a symbolic gesture because my husband is a monster and has hurt this person? Yes, unless, number one, Anna Mm. does not believe that Josh abused Joanna, which he did. Or, number two, unless I'm just completely wrong and a cigar is just a cigar here. (laughs) Yeah, but they've, they've all admitted to that. Everyone's admitted that that happened. No, the the family has not named the victims of the original molestation. Now, some of the victims, Jessa and Jill, have spoken publicly about it. Ginger and Joanna have not spoken publicly about it. They have only been named in the lawsuit. Jim, Bob, and Michelle have never named the girls who were abused. But Anna was told about it beforehand, before she married Josh, allegedly. Allegedly, but... Based on the fact that Jim, Bob, and Michelle have never named them publicly, I would think that Jim, Bob, and Michelle said, well, Josh abused some of our daughters or inappropriately touched some of our daughters. So, Anna, if Anna does believe that Josh molested Joanna, which he did, then she would understand the subtext of that. You know how at Old Fashioned Balls, there was a fan code, like waving your fan or folding your fan a certain way meant something, and there's all these very intricate social rules around it? No. Is this a thing that you know because you're Southern? No, this is a thing that I know because I read a lot of like 1850s novels as a child. (laughs) Um, People who have seen Bridgerton know what I'm talking about. Fundy interactions are just riddled with subtext and hidden meanings, at least in my experience. And I really think that coffee was Joanna metaphorically saying, I'm done. I don't owe you anything anymore. So another thing, the other reason, which is maybe a more solid reason that I think Joanna is not trying to influence Anna to get out, is that Bill Gothard is very much about age order and birth order. And he believes that your age and your position in your family hierarchy has all this meaning in your life, which is the reason that it is so ironic for the rest of us and so terrible for the Duggars that it's their oldest son who's going to prison. Because Bill Gothard believes that the oldest son is is like one of the spiritual heads of the family and he's the most important child and all this stuff. But Joy Anna and Austin both being quite a few years younger than Anna means that in Fundy World, they are not able to give her advice or tell her what to do. So you're saying that in in like Bill Gothard's world, if say it had been Justin that did some bad shit. That, oh, sweet baby Justin. I couldn't, yeah, yeah. I couldn't see him doing anything bad, just, just things that are stupid. Yeah, he, like he, he's one of the least problematic. Of, would you say he's one of the least problematic of them? I don't know. I, I, I Speculating I mean, on this. Weird, is to, that's a weird scale. I mean, they're, <laughs> relatively speaking to everyone else. I don't know. Anyway, Relatively to some of the other brothers, yeah. Yeah. So it's like if, if Justin did something, then are, are they going to go this hard in defending his reputation? Or are they going to be like, they can't all be saints? 
I don't know. I, I do know that it would be less emotionally devastating if it was anyone other than the oldest son. Huh. But because because Bill Gothard is like so into the age order of, of where you're born in your family, it would be a big social taboo for younger married people like Joanna and Austin to try to influence her decision. So the, the coffee thing, it, like that could really be a meaningful thing. Yeah. Now, I could be 100% wrong. It could be totally meaningless. Um, I couldn't see the body language because I wasn't there in court. But without being able to see the body language, I think this was a highly meaningful thing. And that it was Joy very much saying, like, I have done my duty here and I'm done. So uh, you want to move on to the Caleb Williams fiasco? Oh, God. (laughs) Let's, Let's get it over with. Okay. So Sunday night, just three days before the sentencing, Caleb Williams decided to also sound off on Twitter. So Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams is the guy who it seemed like the defense wanted to use as a scapegoat for a while. Then they just, I guess, I don't know, abandoned that. So uh, Caleb was an associate of the Duggars. Um, he is the grandchild of S.M. Davis, and his S.M. Davis is like a huge famous preacher in the IBLP. And then Caleb's mother is close friends with Michelle Duggar. Caleb was, was a close associate of the Duggars, and the defense's original strategy was going to be was going to be to try to say that Caleb hacked into Josh Duggar's computer remotely and downloaded the child sexual abuse materials, and then tried to blame it on josh Mm. but caleb had an excellent alibi so the defense kind of pivoted to blaming an unknown hacker over caleb yeah and so caleb sm davis the guy that's caleb's he's the guy that made all of those cds and videos about what to do yeah what to do if you have rebellious children right but don't buy the cds that we sell they don't actually work and it's just a coincidence that the cds are cheaper and the dvds which is what you actually have to buy is more expensive we sell the cds but they don't work we sell the cds but don't buy them (laughs) unless you really can't afford no like luckily for us we don't have to do either because we had a listener who was kind enough to send us like literally a a giant box full of a lot of sm davis solve family problems.com videos and cds and at some point we're going to review some of them i don't know maybe i could do a paul sand thing with them i don't this whole caleb thing this was so i I don't even know what to make of this so i i've been chewing on this i have some thoughts so what we knew prior to this twitter extravaganza that caleb went on this weekend was that caleb impregnated a minor when he was a legal adult and he did some minor jail time for that assault he was sent to stay with the Duggars, possibly for like rehabilitation or possibly to flee the state while he was in legal trouble. Unknown exactly like how much time he spent there and when he was and wasn't there. Um, where the Duggars live is maybe a seven hour drive from where Caleb lived in Illinois. So he was kind of going back and forth a lot. This is a thing that Fundy guys do as well, and I do not know why. I wish I did. Is like like go back and forth between two places and like work with all their buddies and like 
have very nebulous job descriptions. I don't know what's up with it. Caleb was also rumored to be courting Jana Duggar, which is how all the information came out about his past conviction. He says that he was never dating Jana Duggar. Caleb was friends with one of your brothers. Yeah, not like close friends. Um, we did our our fine arts competition at SM Davis's church. So when we would go up for fine arts competition or when the two of our churches would be at the same conference, like a youth conference or whatever, we would see the Williams family there. So you know like you you know this family. Yeah. Sort of. I mean like I've, I've this guy. Yeah. I've met them a few times and hung out with different members of the family. Caleb Caleb Williams recently tweeted a thread like I I don't know how I describe these tweets. They looked they, they felt like like honest, like he, he was speaking from the heart, but they like they felt like he was showing some like growth and self-awareness, but also like they were kind of problematic and different. Like, I, I don't know. Like, anyway, these tweets blew up on the Internet when this happened. This was nuts. Yeah, I have uh, extremely mixed feelings on this. Let's talk about what he said, and then we'll kind of analyze it. So Caleb started off with a tweet about Anna Duggar. He says that he's praying for her. He thinks that she has been convinced that he is the one who hacked Josh's computer and downloaded the child sexual abuse material. He, Caleb says that he thought Josh had reformed, that he clearly hasn't and he needs help, and that he's disappointed that Josh hasn't taken responsibility for his crimes. So. So far, mm-hmm. so good. That is a highly decent take from the guy that they tried to frame. The thing about Anna, that's interesting, Inseth, the thing that she's been convinced that it was him, that he hacked it. That's, in- that's interesting. He's, well, he's got connections in the family, so he would know. So after he posted this, people started calling him out for his previous conviction for sexually abusing a minor, and he started responding. I'm just going to quote him on this one. So here's his, his, his tweet. As a young adult, I was groomed and manipulated into an over three-year relationship that was supposed to end in marriage with a minor by that minor's parents. That is an arranged marriage. Although an anomaly, this happens in the U.S., subculture. We were set to be married when she turned 16, but she got pregnant. There is much to this story, but my point today, change the laws in the U.S. to make the whole story illegal and raise awareness. Protect these minor girls. Help young men in my position to have a better understanding of the world and the harm these things caused. I believed I was supposed to marry her and it was going to be fine that we were going to live our lives together. I was wrong. Her parents had me charged because they could not hide the pregnancy. It's sad, and I'm not going to attack them. This story is not meant to be an excuse. I want to help others avoid my horrible decisions. Holy sh! There is a lot to unpack there. So much. Does that whole that whole line of tweets? You're just like, you're just like, yeah, man, good for you. Oh no, oh no, that's not the. Oh yeah, man, good for you. Oh, oh, that's not. That that was the biggest roller coaster of reading a tweet thread. So on one hand, God. I like that he included the phrase "I was wrong." In later tweets, he said, "I'm." This is a quote: "I made some really stupid decisions that caused harm, real harm." And in a different tweet, he said, "I do and always will acknowledge my actions were wrong and caused her harm." So I I want to make a public statement on that particular set of quotes that I just read. 
in the past, I, I have called him. I've had some very harsh words for him. And I don't think I was wrong. Uh, I don't think that I said anything that I wouldn't stand by. I did call him unrepentant. That specifically, I would like to publicly take back. If you take his words at face value, he is repentant. My gut feeling is that to some extent, he's truly sorry for what he did. I don't know if it's to the extent that I would want. I don't know if his restitution has been what I would want it to be. But I don't think I can call him unrepentant anymore. And I don't think that I can imply that he's bragging about his crimes. So those two hyper-specific statements that I've made about him, I do want to publicly correct unless his behavior in the future proves otherwise, that he's not actually repentant. On the other hand, he's still deflecting a large part of the responsibility for what happened for his crime to his victim's parents, and he is trying to set himself up as also a victim, like they were both victimized by this arranged marriage, and I don't like that. He says that he was in love with her and that he truly believed they were supposed to be together. That part, I tend to believe. He says that they were arranged to be married. Knowing a little bit about that church and that family, I would tend to believe that as well. However, anyone with half a brain would know that that does not mean that it is okay to have sex with, or more correctly, sexually assault a minor who is... I don't know how much younger, five or six or seven years younger than you. He's not stupid and he wasn't all that brainwashed. Like when I knew him, he wasn't one of the like good rule following kids. He always had a non-compliant streak in him. And I would think that he would know that this was illegal and immoral regardless of the rules of his group, which also said it was a sin. He says that laws should be changed to protect minor girls, which I agree with. But he ignores the fact that if marriage were not legal until age 18, that wouldn't have changed the situation because he decided to break the IBLP rules and the law by sexually assaulting this minor. And if it it had been, so you can get married at 16 and he sexually assaulted her before that. If it had been, you can get married at 18 Who's to say he wouldn't have done the same thing? So is there something that he didn't say that you wish that he had said? I wish that he had said, I am sorry. He said I was wrong and he did express, he did express regret. I would have liked to see that more specifically. I regret my actions every day or I am sorry for. I think my bigger issue is things that he said that I wished he hadn't said. He's been tweeting a lot about how the sex offender registry isn't fair, how people should be able to get off of it. Mm. Um, On May 24th, he tweeted, quote, dangerous people should be stopped. The registry should only be for those people, end quote. Mm. But like, how, how do you decide who isn't isn't dangerous? That's the question. Right. So he he also tweeted about the sex offender registry disproportionately impacting minorities and contributing to homelessness, which I can buy that that is I, I haven't looked into that, but I could I could believe that he's retweeted Justin Trudeau. He's retweeted Trevor Noah recently, which makes me want to believe that he is open to non right wing thought. 
I really want to believe in him. I just, I want to. But he takes it and turns it around with tweets like this, quote, Proclivities, read actual research on this topic. There are many people, real humans, real individuals, that are proven not to have any deviant behaviors. That registry only shamed them for mistakes in their past. It has no societal value in those cases. So A of all, you can't prove a negative. Yeah. Second, yeah. Second, I like he's clearly talking about himself here. He's like saying, I'm not dangerous, therefore other people must not be too. Exactly. Part of the part of the whole thing is that you punish people for things it, 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 like he's saying all it does is punish them for things that they've done in the Yeah, that's the point. Yes, that's you don't punish we, people for something they're going to do in the future. I yeah. think I think what he's saying is that he committed a crime because of a specific situation that gave him opportunity and reason to commit that crime and also gave him a an excuse to make himself feel better about committing that crime. So he committed this crime that he did because he was put in a position where he had the opportunity to and because he had a very convenient excuse to make himself feel like it was okay, which was that they were going to be married soon. I think what he's trying to express is, outside of that situation, I would never commit a crime against a minor again, which Hmm. sounds a lot better than what he wrote. (laughs) I think potentially what he's trying to express is, I have no intention of ever committing this crime again, and I don't think I belong on the sex offender registry because of that, which that is that is a, a reasonable sounding take that I disagree with, because I, I think the registry is not necessarily only for people who are planning on reoffending. I also wonder if we can really trust that he cares about minorities being disproportionately affected by the sex offender registry, or is he just saying that to get brownie points so he can turn around and make excuses for himself? And the thing is that Mm. I don't know. I have one good reason that I do not want to completely slam him and make the judgment call that he is appropriating social justice language to try to cover his own tracks. I mean, that's that is kind of what he's doing is that he's he's using social justice language, but maybe he's not pure in his motivation. Yes. And and I think it's. Hmm. I would give it 50-50 on him being completely f***ed in his motivations. <sighs> but I want to talk about that other 50% of what if he's not. I know that coming out of a cult is hard. And we all made mistakes while grappling with the racism and misogyny and homophobia that were instilled in us from childhood. Like we all at one point used the wrong, so like, used the language of social justice incorrectly or in problematic ways. We all made social justice issues about ourselves when we had no reason to be platformed. <laughs> like we all did that. It, that is, those are natural steps on the path from not caring to actually caring. I acknowledge that there is a good chance that he's being a big fake here. I do not want to assert that that is absolutely the truth because that discourages people from learning and growing. I don't know if Caleb is actually trying to reform and use some problematic language and 
messed up by making this issue about himself. Like, can we really expect a cis, straight, white man raised in the IBLP who is just now taking the first steps toward getting out to not make everything all about themselves? Like, if you are that man, your entire life has been all about yourself. So I think that's an expectable mistake. Caleb's uncle, Ben Williams, has been blogging over at Path to Freedom on Facebook, and he does this kind of thing here and there. He'll use outdated terms or he'll make a situation about himself when it doesn't need to be. But I am fully convinced that Ben's intentions are good and pure because he's often been called out or corrected on this kind of thing, and he has extremely humbly learned from his mistakes. Ben, uh, over at Path to Freedom, has also gone the step further that I wish I wish Caleb would have done here and said, I did this thing. I, sh- I was told that it was okay, but I should have known better. It was wrong, and I will never do it again. So I don't trust Caleb the way that I trust Ben when I talk about him being on that path towards growth and that path towards healing and deconstructing. I trust Ben, that he is on that path. And if he says something that rubs me the wrong way, um, I don't think twice about it because I know, like I've walked that path. I know, I know the path he's on and I trust his intentions. I don't have that trust for Caleb. I don't want to fully jump down his throat and assume that he has bad intentions because I do think there's a chance that he's on that same path. So he said all this stuff on Twitter, right? This is all on Twitter. Yeah, he just, he went from an account with like under 50 tweets and just tweeted mm. up a storm all, all this whole week. He's like, so he says all this stuff about Anna. The first thing he does, he says stuff about Anna. And then people see all the stuff he's saying about Anna and they come at him. And then he says all of this stuff about whatever the sex offender registry and like the, 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 what happened with him. And, and yes. And so he story. posted that original tweet about Anna and then people were like, and he had posted something quite a while back about like, watch who you allow around your children. Um, that kind of thing, which. Yeah. Ugh, I'm not allowing buddy. you, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> buddy, buddy. Uh, no. <sighs> So he had, he had, and he had a, a few other tweets about can people change that kind of thing. And when he posted that tweet about Anna, it got attention from the internet and people started calling him out like, hey, aren't you on the sex offender registry? Like, didn't you do this thing? So he starts tweeting this other stuff, which he thinks is a defense of himself. And the internet did not take extremely kindly to. He had been tweeting in support of banning child marriage for quite a while previous to that tweet about Anna, though, without once mentioning his personal situation, which leads me to buy that he really does support making child marriage illegal. So we do agree on that. Also, I like a lot of times I feel like people are going to advocate on behalf of an issue after it somehow affects them or some of they like because. You know, like that's how they realize it's widespread. That's how they realize it's a big deal and it's a serious problem. Like th- that's not like a dig at people who get involved with a cause for whatever. Because like every person can't be aware or be an advocate for every cause or every problem. That's absolutely true. Um, there were like I didn't I didn't I didn't study theory on <laughs> like I didn't read about housing for all or 
different programs that could actually end homelessness until I lived in Portland a couple of years and the number of homeless people in our city just seemed to explode overnight a couple of years ago. I it wasn't that I didn't care. Um of course I cared. I just I didn't I didn't learn, I didn't spend my time learning about it. I didn't spend my money donating. I didn't spend any time volunteering until it was something that affected me or something that I saw every day. And um I think that's just the way it is with a lot of with a lot of causes and a lot of things that need advocacy. So I don't know. I don't know. I believe his story about the arranged marriage. I don't buy his explanation about thinking it would be okay because I think he's smart enough to know that that's illegal. Uh, I believe that he really does think that ending child marriage is a good thing, which I agree with. I would like to find out that he really is on a path to growth. His tweets didn't convince me that he's a fake. They didn't convince me that he's not a fake. He's gone on a couple podcasts. Uh, He plans to be on a couple more. I'm going to take a listen to those and see how this one plays out before I make a final call on this. Like, what kind of podcasts are... (laughs) Like that, that's a, that's a confusing. Like I feel like I, this this is just me. I feel like D list Duggar affiliate and registered sex offender Kayla Williams is a f-ing weird person to call up and book to come on your podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I like I would personally. Seri- I would have to seriously call into question the ethics of a podcast that would have him on as a guest. Like we recorded an interview. Uh, couple days ago with somebody. But one of the things that we touched on was that just because there is an appetite for a certain kind of content from an audience, doesn't mean that it's a good idea to, or, or like an ethical thing to be producing that content. You know what I'm saying? Like people may want to hear from, from Caleb Williams, but that doesn't mean that you want to have him on your show. So there are other shows that have been covering the Duggar trial and they're having him on in the capacity of the guy the defense team tried to frame. Uh-huh. I guess it makes sense. I would not trust him enough that I would want to platform him, platform him on our show yet. Oh, absolutely not. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, if Ben Williams wanted to come on our show, though, I'd absolutely let him. I don't. I don't know. The internet seems very convinced that he's a total fake. I'm not, but yeah. I am nowhere near convinced that he's totally real either. And I just, I feel like we're just going to have to keep an eye on this one. If he is really on the path to complete repentance and change and completely changing who he is as a person and completely moving past his crime that he committed, I think he would understand my ret- my reticence to fully accept him yet. Um, and I hope that that is the case. And I hope that he does understand where I'm coming from. I'm not ready to completely disregard the positive signs he's been showing. We'll see. I, so I'm so conflicted, but we'll see. So I want to jump back though to like the, the so the first set of tweets that he sent out, the ones where he said that Anna has been convinced that he was the one who hacked the computer and downloaded the child sexual abuse materials. That I think was the defense team's whole strategy was like cast reasonable doubt that someone else could have hacked into the computer remotely and that he was one of the people that was specifically named. And then as the trial went on, they focused in on him as the person they wanted to suggest actually committed the crime. You remember the defense opening statements where the defense lawyer said this is a classic who done it. Um, yeah. But it, it turns out that the person who actually committed this particular disgusting evil crime was Joshua James Duggar. 
that's who that's who did it. Caleb has come out and said this personally. The way that that I like after he says that, I am viewing this whole defense in a different light. Like, of course, you remember how pitiful the defense's case was, how they got like, I mean, the defense, they got foghorn leghorn attorney at law to come out and say, now I'm not some big city lawyer, but if you lack mysteries, this is the case for you. Like, that was the, you know, he's like, if you lack mysteries, this is the case for you. Yes. God, no, like what I, I am now convinced uh, and this is just like my personal theory. Jim Bob saw the case of the state had built against Josh. Like he saw the evidence and how when they came and arrested Josh, at, Josh immediately told on himself and was like, did somebody download child pornography on one of our computers? Who would have done that? Like, did someone download? Did someone do it? Like <laughs> completely unprompted. Like Jim Bob sees this. Jim Bob is not an idiot. Like he, he may be uh, many other things. I don't think he's like completely stupid, but he immediately realizes that the state has Josh dead to rights. Josh is going away. So rather than take a plea deal for a reduced sentence, he shifts focus from building a case that would try to appeal to the jury to building a case that would appeal specifically to Anna so that Jim Bob can keep Anna under his control and keep her convinced of her husband's innocence. That I'm convinced that the whole trial was just like a sham to convince Anna that the state had framed her husband. I like your line of thinking, but I would expand on it because I don't think Anna alone is worth that much to Jim Bob. I think Jim Bob sees people as a paycheck. And I think he's not only concerned with keeping Anna under control. I think he's trying to keep all of his adult children who haven't already left under his control, especially Joanna and Jessa, who are the biggest social media moneymakers in the family. I think it's not just about keeping Anna believing his story. I think it's about keeping as many family friends as possible believing his story. So his adult children and Anna and the Kellers and the Reber's and the Forsyths and all those people. And if, like if Anna goes, that's a big domino to fall. If, if Anna stays, then he can say, look, Anna stayed even though she has been through the terrible hardship and persecution. And it like it's it's symbolic. Controlling Anna is symbolic of controlling the whole family because she's the one who I think has like the most if you're a reasonable person looking at this, she's the one who has the most reason to leave. If he can keep her despite literally everything that he and his son have done to her and her reputation and her life and her family, there like there is no limit. So Anna becomes a bargaining chip for everyone else. I can see it. But honestly, I I have to agree with Eric Skorzynski on this one and say that I'm kind of done with Anna. Anna has had opportunities for help. She has every reason to leave. And at this point, I think she's choosing to bury her head in the sand. I get that she has been primed to do exactly what she is doing since birth, I get that she's brainwashed and being lied to, and I understand that the logistics of her getting out of the situation that she is in would be absolutely terrible. I don't think I'll ever completely lose my sympathy, my my deep sympathy, for the position that she has been put in by men. 
Also, I mean, there's a lot of situations, and you know this better than anyone, where you get to choose what you believe, right? Where, like, you can choose to believe something that you know is a lie because you're afraid of going outside of what's comfortable and what's easy and what you've and what you're used to. That's a decision that a lot of people make every day of their lives. You can also choose to accept something that is difficult. Even though accepting that it's true means accepting that your life has to fundamentally change. And that's a much more difficult thing to do. And Anna has like never decided to make that choice. I just think that I am feeling a shift from I don't blame her for believing a lie to I do blame her for believing a lie, even though I understand why she would choose to believe a lie. It's it's unfortunate because she didn't ship herself off to marry somebody rich and famous son. Her dad did that. And she didn't commit a crime. Her husband did that. And she has been put into this situation by men, like I said. But at this point, I feel that her continued support of Josh has, at this point, well and truly turned the corner into enabling. And I feel that she is endangering her children and has been for some time. I think she will continue to endanger her children by keeping them around um, not only their father to the extent that she's able to, but other people who have proven to not be safe people to be around children. I think this is the point where we have to start blaming her for not protecting them, especially with a clear offer of help from multiple family members. Well, you know, at least Josh isn't going to be endangering his children for another, what, 12 years, 10 years minimum. Yeah. Another decade. Roughly, sometime between 10 and 12 years. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at least there's that. Uh, so, you know, I really think I I think she could leave him before he gets out of jail. You think she might get that far? It's going to be a long time. I'm It's a lot. I mean, Cindy Scott did it. I'm not like I'm not interested in hearing about anything that she does or says until that time until you know it, it yeah, looks like but, she's actually uh, you, know, do I, that, you know I Cindy Cindy formerly Cindy Scop when when Jack Scop went into jail she was playing the very same role that Anna's playing now and like I'm going to support you and I don't really believe you did this and don't really believe you deserve to go to jail wrote a letter in support of him just like Anna did and I think she kept that up for about 3 or 3 4 years before she divorced him and good for her she did the right thing so i so based on that story it makes me imagine that maybe anna will do the same thing well i hope she does that's all i can say um i want to thank everybody for tuning in today i think that's all we've really got we need to thank our faith promise missions subscribers we didn't want to do it at, up at the top of the episode yeah we just wanted to get right into it so if uh we want to thank the all of our patrons we want to thank especially the faith promise missions tier patrons for our show your names are alex todd Brittany. Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah, Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kay Terwee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, oh, new one, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, 
uh, Pastor Robert Stutes, Sadie's actual BFF Morgan, uh, which is fine that they can be BFFs because we're poly BFFers. Uh, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Taylor, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much. Man, there's a lot of Faith Promise Missions to your patrons. You guys are amazing. You guys are the ones that really keep the lights on for this show. Um, if you liked this production and you want to hear and you're new to this show and you want to hear more about the Duggars, you want to hear more about the IBLP, we have uh, we last fall we did trial coverage for the Josh Duggar trial. So we, I think we did two or three episodes of, of Josh Duggar trial coverage. We also have an episode from, I think a little over a year ago where we talk about who the Duggars are. We go through all of the family members. We also have, uh, actually, I think that was a two part episode. We also have a two part episode. That's more recent where we talk about all of the Duggars in-laws. And we have a couple episodes where we talk about Bill Gothard and the IBLP. Tons of content out there for you to binge or listen to if you want to. Sadie, do you have anything to say before we go? No, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to the patrons and go listen to all our other Duggar content if you haven't. Yeah. And make sure if you're an LGBTQ person... um, and you are uh, getting out of Christian fundamentalism. We have a lot of content coming up just for you guys for Pride Month, and we're really excited for that. Uh, we have an interview that we've recorded with a very cool person. Um, a, a Can I call them a fashion icon? Yes. Do you think that's accurate? I think that's accurate. I'll call them a fashion icon. Um, an excellent person that, that we had an interview with uh, just a couple of days ago. And that's going to be super fun for Pride Month. Uh, we also have an episode we've recorded talking about the whole history of Pride. It's going to be amazing. And we hope that you guys really like it. Um, you can follow the Leaving Eden podcast on Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast. At, on Facebook at Leaving Eden Podcast, you can join our Facebook group, which is called eden exodus so you go to facebook.com slash group slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus and you can follow us on twitter at leaving eden pod sadie you want to plug your social media sure you can follow me on twitter at hell yeah sadie you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music or on tiktok at sadie carpenter one and you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And, you know, I'm just glad that this guy's going to jail. That's all I got to say. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye-bye. But Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 